I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. And it's time for episode number 358 of Video Games Hot Dog, a podcast of which there have been 358 episodes. This is an episode 501. What are you doing to celebrate episode 358 of Video Games Hot Dog? Riff. I'm uh, doing a podcast about video games. You mean a radio show about television shows? Yes. <laughs> Wait, oh, no. Did we travel well, back but, in time somehow? But like interactive television shows where you call in and control a character by pushing buttons on your phone? I want to talk about Bandersnatch, which is an interactive television show. Oh, sure. I still haven't watched that. Do you? Have you, Riff? No, Riff doesn't have ed- yeah, I don't have edutainment. All my all my streaming media is like Crunchyroll and Amazon Prime and uh, iTunes. I guess, but that's not so. So, Kevin, would I be sad if you spoiled stuff for me? Like how how spoily? Okay, all right. It's it's better to experience it blind. I think. Okay. With no no preconceptions. Just as an audio program, we 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 could still make that the assignment instead of whatever it was you suggested. No. Okay. It's not. It's not enough. It's not enough of a game to warrant it. You don't think uh, we've played some? No. We've played some. Some yeah, not we, very much of a game. Okay, we've had some. It's we've true. had some real bullshit assignments. Even very recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Present I, company accepted, of course. I'm. I'm down to do Bandersnatch as an assignment. That means that Riff will have to go to somebody's house who has Netflix. Yeah, Nobody has I, Netflix. I, don't know. I might be able to. Just I was about to say I, I might be able to watch a let's play of it. <laughs> uh, what have you been up to, Riff? How's your How's your vampire the the masquerade in the Prohibition Roaring Twenties? Uh, yeah, no, going? it's it's in the sixties. Sixties England, swinging swinging sixties uh, in in London. It's uh, it's pretty cool. My our ragtag team of weirdos successfully rescued uh, Sid Barrett of Pink Floyd fame from being sacrificed to uh, weird occult machinations that we haven't figured out yet. So we're, uh, we're, we're keeping the, uh, the timeline of the uh, British invasion uh, correct <laughs> so far. Is that your goal? It's, is this like a time travel? Not, not really. It's, it's, uh, w- we don't, so much have an explicit goal it's just that the theme of the campaign generally is sort of forest gump except london in the 60s okay so we're we're encountering a lot of these of these people yeah was the moon landing filmed in london uh yeah what was the studios that they did star wars and the moon landing was Star Wars filmed in London? Yeah, mostly. Hmm. What, really? Yeah, it was them there in Tunisia? Oh yeah, right? Tunisia. Uh, what's your What's your character, Riff? Uh, my character is Bertie Wooster from Jeeves and Wooster. Just uh, just straight up named Bertie Wooster. <laughs> he straight up is Bertie Wooster. He he's been a vampire for thirty odd years or however long it is between those stories and uh, and the sixties. Are the other characters real people, uh, or some of them are? The um, one of them, one of the guys is uh, uh, Captain uh, Captain Robert. I don't have the name on hand. the 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 second explorer to reach the South Pole, um, 
who, when he arrived there, the first explorer to reach the, the South Pole was still there and turned out to be a vampire who bit him. <laughs> uh, Scott. Uh, that makes Ro- sense. It's Robert kind of like Falcon a 30. Scott is the guy's name. 30 days of night situation where yeah, it's dark there a lot of the time. So you could really, you could really vamp out. Although there's nothing to eat there, right? Well, he was very hungry, presumably. Mm. Uh, I mean, I guess if you have, if you have a big dog team. Just... How long can a vampire, the masquerade vampire, go without drinking blood? You go into torpor, right? But yeah. you can come back from that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I'm relatively new to, to, the, to the mechanics. I haven't, I haven't played it in a long time. You haven't poured over the source books? No. Just, Memorizing just, just every enough rule for so that you can... creation to be a thing. Hmm. Do you think that they would, like, fire dormant uh, vampires out of underwater ships at other ships from the Torpor tubes. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> huh. Yeah. I was really hoping you were you had some sort of like World War Z type world building thing where that turned out to actually be really a good idea tactically as opposed <laughs> to just a dumb pun. But thanks anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it could be it could be both. I think I think a military strategy based primarily All right, around All right, guys, let's try to salvage puns. this. Okay, so I don't think you can fire a person out of a torpedo tube. Why not? Because I think it's the I think the torpedo contains its own propellant. Okay, I don't right. think that <laughs> the, well, the so, torpedo so that, tube just sort of opens to let the torpedo out, right? So, oh, bummer. That's fine. I guess so if you, you had a, like a a person with a little little swim. Yeah, like yeah. A, if you put like the, a Swiss you put Army the vampire man. in yeah. like a scuba gear and just let him yeah. swim out. <laughs> but then why would you need to use the torpedo tube instead of just the door? Like that just <laughs> seems like a <laughs> well, it just seems the, like a meaner way to <laughs> I don't think the door dude, causes I don't a lot think of submarines wetness. have a door like that. You you'd have to you'd have to climb out the top and then everybody in the a, submarine would drown. <laughs> No, they have just a hole in the bottom where the do water they? is. There, where the like moon a, gets it's like in? a pond. It's oh, a moon I didn't pool. know yeah. that. Why do they call that a moon pool? Why is do it they call it looks a, like a? Why do they call the roof uh, an openable roof on a car a moon roof? Because uh, it's uh, different than a sunroof. W- what's the difference? I think moon roofs are not openable, and sunroofs are. What? What? I don't actually know if that's true or not. <laughs> okay. Um, Oh, is that like be able to open like, your moon roof so you can moon people out of it? It's like but you've got you your sunroom, which has a sun door, room. and you've got your moon room, which is just where you put people and you trap them in like a glass edifice forever. Yeah, there's a solarium. Why is there not a lunarium? Oh. I guess every solarium is also a lunarium once it's nighttime. <laughs> Did you guys see my tweet about uh, how I'm running for mayor of Sunnyvale and yeah. my single platform will be that every night we change the name of the town to Mooneyvale? <laughs> By decree, you have to like decree the all the de- signs, the, the, yeah, all the, the so nights and days into existence. It develops all this new tech for like signs that are that reactively change what they say. Hmm. Okay, I we also have to Valley update every GPS. A good choice uh, to know. What if what if you were halfway? What if your GPS was in the middle of saying "Take exit four two four on the right towards Sunnyvale," and it became Mooneyvale in the middle of that sentence? Well, then it, probably, it would just probably finish off with Evale. Yeah. They both end with and Sun and Moon both end with N, so it would have to it would be Sunny Vale at the, the best case scenario. Uh-huh. Or Money Vale if it was <laughs> at dawn. Right. 
You know, easier than changing the signs would just be teaching a new, inventing and then teaching to all the children a new form of writing where a, the text reads differently depending on how it's lit. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Hey, speaking of which, Jim, uh, this is going to seem like I'm calling you out, but I really just want you to explain uh-huh. some real internet ass bullshit that you said on okay. the internet All a right, couple days ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, I have this. I have this up in a, in a in a browser window on my phone. All right, you you wrote <laughs> life hack colon stop giving a shit about skills that have no value other than being cultural shibboleths. Right. And as near as I could tell, the skill that you were talking about was the ability to spell. So that's an example of one of those. I, yes. I need you I need you to justify your claim that knowing how to spell has no value other than as a cultural shibboleth. Well, there's spell check now. But it doesn't know the difference between like though and through right like which one are you do you mean like so i I shouldn't say no value because like the word or the reader has to work a little bit harder to read something that's poorly spelled but like by far what like when especially when you see like people like on reddit where half the threads are like oh you, you misspelled a word uh like that is that sort of behavior is just like you misspelled the word. You don't belong here. I would say that huh. the the calling out of it though is the is the bad behavior. It's not that not that spelling properly is pointless, right? No, no. Well, spelling properly indicates that you're part of the the crowd, the culture that knows how to spell properly. So literate people who are educated. <laughs> Right, that that, that uh, it it notoriously so it, useless subculture. It it does signal that you read a lot, and also signals that you're not dyslexic, which is always cool. Um, so there's a uh, there's an XKCD that I really like about this. Um, that uh, I if I. I like the the right thing for me to do would be to, for me to look it up and then just read it aloud to you on this podcast. That would be the fantastic radio, especially the part where I type in the URL on my red switches, red cherry switches. Um, but the gist of it was uh, like enumerating a list of things that um, that are both true about uh, fashion police and grammar Nazis. And the thing that I remember that stood out most to me at the time, and I was also this, if you read the whole thread, I tweeted about this in the thread in reply to somebody, but, um, was the idea that if you want to seem cool and casual, you want, you, you, uh, you should know a lot about this subject while also pretending to ignore it. And so, um, I feel like that's, I don't know. I, I, I do feel like I am the kind of person, especially because of the, because of the, the way I grew up, who needs to spell properly and needs to use good grammar. And sometimes this actually, especially on a place like Twitter where you're bandwidth limited, um, this, sometimes this actually impedes communication. Like I have bastardized tweets that would have been more readable if I had just 
been willing to shorten though to THO, mm-hmm. for example. Um, and this is just like, I, I consider this a failing on my part. I consider this like I am too, uh, prideful of my role, of my place in this subculture that, that knows how to, how to perform literacy. But I think it is a failing on your part to achieve your aims within your constraints, right? I mean, like, you can't, it's not like a meaningful failure and you don't deserve to be made fun of for it, but like. Sorry, the. the I don't know. Do you derive a, no satisfaction from it? I think you do. I used to, but like, I, I, I used to like think I was better than people who didn't get geeky jokes too, like. And then for a while I went through, I went through a phase where like I felt guilty for liking geeky jokes because I used to think I was better than people. And now I'm kind of like, don't, I don't feel either of those things, which is probably for the best. It's probably like the best place to end up. So maybe I'm comparing being proud of being able to spell and never saying anything about it or being a dick to anybody about it to like, lording the fact that you got your anime reference over oh i I wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't like actively tell people that i would just like you know feel better in my heart like oh i'm just tell in my head i would say oh yes i'm better than this person um but it's specifically a better than this person it's not a like i'm just glad i'm glad that i can spell i like that about myself it's always comparative like it's always like an act of violence (laughs) i wouldn't say it's an act of violence but i would say that like uh, like most cultural shibboleths, we, we would probably be better off without, uh, this as a, a way of measuring people's value. Hmm. Okay. Well, I still don't understand. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me about my homeowner tweet. Oh, fuck. No. I've, look, I have absolutely given up on that. Okay, like, all right. On, on or, or probably one of the... Yeah. I, I missed that as well. I'm sure it was It was something like any... Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to bring the what? whole podcast what? down. I don't know. I don't remember it, and I'm probably thinking about something that fucking Gary said on oh, Twitter yeah. at uh-huh. some point that's making me grouchy. <laughs> um, the impossibility of ever being a homeowner in the Bay Area? Is that... No, no, it was, well, I got it. Okay. So I'll just, I'll just summarize this one too. I had watched, um, one of those reality shows about like rich people's homes. Mm-hmm. And I was comparing it to like the murder podcasts that I sometimes listen to, except if the murder podcasts were hosted by murderers who were congratulating people oh, about their right. murders. Okay. <laughs> sure. And it's morally appalling to own more than one home. And it's, it, yeah, it's morally appalling to own one home. It, uh, it, I, I think we can get one. I think one's fine. Um, yeah. it, it, it's just the, the, it, it feels like extremely wasteful, like performatively wasteful. Um, and it's, to I don't know. Home? It really bothered me. It really, like, I, I watched an episode of that and I was really, like, down for a couple of hours. As a result, yeah. was this MTV Cribs? Uh, no, it was um, it was on Netflix. I think it was called "The World's Most Extraordinary Homes." So you like super on purpose watched this, right? This wasn't like something that was on. 
at oh, somebody yeah, yeah. else's well, I, house. I, I never like I never watch something accidentally. <laughs> right. Okay. Mm. Except unless anyway. it's like at a restaurant and like I watch like ten minutes of sports accidentally. Well, but so that show is clearly geared towards an audience of people who does not live in an extraordinary home. Otherwise it wouldn't be an extraordinary home. Right. Like, yeah, I think you're right. I think so. Yeah. It's acknowledging that, that this is some sort of weird situation already just in the premise. I mean, I guess you could argue that like aspirational entertainment is what convinces poor people to vote for policies that are not in their best interest because they believe that they will one day be rich. Right. I I think a big part of this is that I believe that the idea of like class advancement is a fake idea. Um, that like, you know, you look at somebody like, uh, this is a, this is maybe a bad example, but you look at somebody like Bill Gates. He came from a very wealthy family and he got to be extremely wealthy. And that was like, because he was extremely lucky. So like, if you win the lottery, you can go up like maybe two steps in the, in the, in the, the class hierarchy. Uh, and most people don't, most people like end up like where their parents are. Or worse, in the case of the millennial I think generation, the arc of his the arc of history proves you wrong in this at every data point. What what makes you say that, Zach? That poverty worldwide is at an all time low, and everyone's quality of life, on average, has gotten like immeasurably better, even like since the nineties. So, like, I actually just watched a video today that was talking about how. A lot of the statistics behind that is are false, skewed, because they're taking like national averages. Which, well, that's important they, though. Like, I, I think the the idea that the rising tide lifts all boats, or no, whatever the phrase the phrase is, I think that's real. Um, the argument, the but, argument is that that a lot of the like, like, oh, you know, if you look at every nation on Earth, things have gotten better. But that's not looking at the actual populations. That's looking at the like the national averages, which are so heavily skewed towards the wealthy. What what I see is statistics about like how many people are like living food insecure or like in under whatever definition of poverty, and how much right. So that is. what like, we're seeing there's significantly less crime than there has ever been. That so, also is potentially dubious. Though, so what, right? like, what we're seeing is the effect of the Industrial Revolution reaching India and China and Africa. And that's going to be great for them for the next 50 years, probably. But it's not going to help us here in America. We're, we're, we are now like at the end of that advancement. And so will they be in 50 years. I was um, looking at census data yesterday about like the percentage of people at various age cohorts that own homes and it's like more or less the same as it's ever been that's interesting you know there was a rising action leading up to the 2008 crash and a falling action since then but we're back at like 1995 levels or something but those are very close to 1950 levels like i don't know You know, you hear everything from everyone who's mad about anything because of the internet. (laughs) And so everything is trash all the time. It's just loud trash at you 
a hundred percent of the time. I mean, wages in the U.S. <laughs> and, and then Jim becomes a parody of himself by claiming that, like, the English language has no value. <laughs> wages in the U.S. have not increased in the past four years for eighty percent of Americans. Right, like that's. I think that th- there are just as many cherry picked bad statistics as there are cherry picked good statistics. Would you consider the one that you just suggested as a good or a bad statistic? What, like the number of the percentage of people who own houses? No, the number of the, statistics yeah, the, that those are two, those two numbers being equal. Yeah, I've cherry picked that by making it up. <laughs> Look, just because Donald Trump is a butthole doesn't mean the whole world is fucked. The just the United great. States. Well, not for that reason, guy. anyway. And not not even not even all the United States. Just people who aren't white. Well, lucky for us, we're on a podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> the domain of, of white dudes. Yep. Is that is that the idea? <clears throat> great. Anyway, unless I'm it's sure a murder podcast, is, I'm sure everything is terrible, and I'm sorry that I dared to suggest that it's not. I was very, I couldn't tell if you were kidding or not, Jim. And that's uh-huh. why. But it's, I understand. Do you? You were just saying you didn't understand. I, what if everything good was bad? No, I just I, I'm Twitter. confused com. because I feel like being able to spell just makes means that more often than not we can actually understand what we're saying to each other right like yeah spelling uh, when something I, is spelling I, I spelled, like it becomes ambiguous what they what the person writing. means right i think um context matters a whole lot more than like a but word you could that... get the context wrong because of a couple of of words you don't understand even like when we are talking to each other, we don't understand what's going on. Yeah, that's true. And, that happens a and lot. And that doesn't involve spelling at all. Yeah, and, and that's that's like yeah, I kind lost of, the pin from my pen, and now it doesn't work. <laughs> that, that's kind of my uh, part of what I'm thinking about is like like communication is so noisy in general that this other source of noise probably doesn't matter that much. I would say rather that because communication is so noisy it's best to eliminate it eliminate as much noise as you possibly can like the, yeah, uh, writing writing is effective writing is the most effective when someone reading the words when the words just go straight in the eyes into the brain and you don't have like the moment when a reader has to stop and interpret that's that's uh that's damaging to the flow of the writing and the comprehension you want to make it as easy to understand as possible by not having someone not having your reader having to stop and go oh did they mean this instead of this or what was this word meant to be you know yeah i guess i just mean don't be an asshole about it uh, i oh, sure i definitely that's, agree it's that's important to not be an asshole yeah yeah, yeah. well and by asshole do you mean a-s <laughs> space h-o-l-e <laughs> uh-huh. or don't do not be also, asshole about your writing <laughs> I think it's important also to to consider that for all of its for all of the cherry picked examples you can come up with of the reasons why 
English grammar and spelling and structure don't make sense and can just be like traced back to one pedantic asshole in 1665 or whatever. It is also the product of tens of thousands of years of evolution of human communication to be more effective. So it's... Do you think it's changing faster than it used to? I, it's, That's an interesting I question because not. I think it, it stopped changing largely once the spelling got standardized. Like, I, I think... Uh, um, well, I shouldn't I, say language would, in general, but spelling that, stopped changing. So spelling is spelling is frozen in like I would argue 400 in years ago. 20 years, more different words with alternate spellings have well, popped up than the sure. 100 years before that. But yeah, I, mean, I think the I, real I think question you're right. is, I think you could talk the, to somebody from 100 years ago and you could absolutely have a conversation and be speaking the same language. That is probably not true of somebody 500 years ago. Right. And the and I guess the question is like, is there more distance between you and Chaucer than there was between Chaucer and I don't know when was Chaucer thirteen yeah, something something like that? Uh, the, between Chaucer and somebody in like eighty seven hundred. Yeah, like it, it's it's a weird question. I mean, I'm sure that linguists know this. We should write in to John McWhorter on Lexicon Valley and, and ask him, yeah, is I, language changing faster or slower than it used to? But I think like the fact that there were so few sources of it meant that like a single typo could just convince a whole town that a word was a different thing than it was. <laughs> and then that would spread way more than when there's also a thousand other books in town that Do have. You, is this how you explain the, like Welsh? Is the that, real version that of, that, of that word. The real version, the one that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, <laughs> approves of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's spelling dogma. It's spelled D-O-G-M-A. <laughs> I beat I beat you to it, Kevin. Good. Uh, have you done anything fun other than <laughs> just being a crank on the internet, Jim? <laughs> That's kind of what I do. Yeah. <laughs> do you enjoy it? Uh. So. Uh. I might enjoy it less now because I installed a uh, browser plugin which removes numbers from Twitter. So, like, now that I'm not getting what? my dopamine rush of seeing that I got exactly 32 likes for that oh. tweet. I thought you meant, like, in people's tweets. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, there was that tweet. My favorite song is... Because their favorite song was the Jenny... <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I get it. Uh, that's been that's been working out pretty nice. I'm I'm like making decisions about what to retweet, not based on whether it's already been retweeted sixty thousand times. Um, huh. I'm making decisions about who to follow, not based on how many people already follow them. Hmm, that's those pretty are two cool. Things that I feel like I've never paid attention to. Yeah, I. I mean, I wish I could say the same thing. I, and I wonder, like, whether it's actually true for you that, well, rather, actively paid attention and it not affecting your life are two different things. Yeah. Mm. I won't follow somebody that has 50,000 or more tweets because they that's, tweet too much. That's uh, probably pretty smart. Um, and also, like, I would not follow somebody who follows, like, 5,000 people. Mm. Or more because sure. they're yep agreed probably a spammer um, yeah uh, 
But like, I think the real value of this would be if everybody installed it and nobody was making decisions based on like getting the dopamine rush of like making 30 people angry. What about uh, a, I do like a, a plugin likes though. Yeah, me too. I need my do a plugin that just removes all the words from Twitter. <laughs> I get yeah, all you see is the likes. Yeah. So like you post something and you don't even know what you just posted. You just know whether it was popular or not. That sounds, that sounds real nice. That sounds like the, what was the, well, there was, there was this, this chat program where their selling point was that all you could send was the fact that I just sent you a message. Oh, yo, I think that was it. Yeah. <laughs> There was what was the thing that Dan Kurtz made? I wish I could remember the name of it. It was it was a basically an Instagram. Bu- it was feed. Bubby or so, it was like Binky. It was Binky. Binky. Yeah, yeah. It's it was a, Just basically a, an Instagram feed, like of, a proc gen Instagram feed where you could like things and it would give you like real juicy feedback. Yeah, but it was just like uh, random photographs, pictures and, of kittens and yeah. and stuff. But hadn't it was not associated. But you didn't have just like an endless, list. an endless like feed that gave you the same that tried to give you the same dopamine hit as social media. It's weird. Like the dopamine hit that I get from reading Twitter is when I see something funny because I like to laugh. The, okay, so here's here's my dating profile. I love to laugh, so mm-hmm. a sense of humor is very important to me. And also, uh, wine is good. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, it's what like every every like thirty five to forty two year old woman in San Francisco can't be wrong. That's one fair. Of, one of my one every thirty fifth to fortieth two year old woman. Yeah, every, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the best thing about them is that there's thirty five to forty of them, and they're super drunk. <laughs> My uh, my roommate has a wine blog on Instagram, mm-hmm. and has a wine blog and has like a wine Instagram. Which has a blog on Instagram? I don't know. It's how does that? I think she has a blog and has an Instagram. Okay, I've, Instagram I've seen that comment. sort of thing. The they, people post images with a bunch of text in them. Yeah, I watched a documentary about the Fire Festival, and it made me hate almost everything. There's apparently the two world. competing documentaries. About yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. Hulu and Netflix. Yeah. I watched, I watched the, one, the Netflix um, one. Yeah. Me too. It was really depressing. Like I was hoping that it was going to be a story about some people who tried to do something and fucked it up in a way that was instructive. But <laughs> no, it was just like a video about like, uh, did, did you like also a feel, weird thief that's even hard to hate because he doesn't even seem to know he's doing it? Do you yeah. feel bad for? Do you feel bad for, or do you sort of have a disdain for the people who bought tickets as well? I'm totally ambivalent about them. Like I, I guess if anything, I like my version of being the Jim Crank on the the Jim Crank. That must be a word uh, on the internet. Is I don't like it when people like. There is a tremendous amount of rhetoric on the internet that basically boils down to it is immoral to have more money than I have. Okay. And I have very low tolerance for that. I mean, one of the guys that they interview as one of the guys who bought, like, one of the people who's, like, suing them or whatever has, like, three names and and a Roman numeral after it and is, like, 
clearly just a gigantic asshole. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's, I still don't think it's like good to rip that guy off. Right? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's virtuous to steal from the rich if that's where you stop. Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Like, and, and that's, that's the, that's the real problem with this whole thing is they stole from a bunch of like poor black people too. Yeah. No, the people. Like Although the uh, I saw a thing where the the gal who was running the kitchen stuff, who was who had that sort of like real sad bit at the end of that movie because she like spent all of her savings paying the people that they didn't pay, has like crowdfunded all that money back. Yeah, that like, was nice to see. Probably entirely as a result of that, which is like that's great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and apparently also the the thief that didn't know he was a thief is is I think actually in prison. Like I think actually has jail time as opposed to But does not know that he's in prison. Yeah, he doesn't right. know he's in jail. He just keeps <laughs> stealing stuff and he still doesn't understand that that's what he's doing. Right. I I think that it it is what one thing that was instructive for that is that a lot of the time and maybe even most of the time the people who have the reality distortion fields are also distorting it for themselves. Yeah, it was, it was weird. It was weird and sad. Um, it, man. <laughs> like, it wasn't just a scam because they spent a lot of money almost putting on an event. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's what's weird to me. Like, why bother? And it, like, wasn't for appearances because the appearance was awful. Right. And right. it was obvious that it was the entire time. Like, why bother just... spending the money if if you're going to fall flat anyway? Like, It's hard to selectively feel bad for all of the people that are involved in this. Like, to me, at least, it's like, I think, some, you know, maybe part of the reason that people were so, like, gleeful about this whole thing collapsing is like ah, a bunch of rich kids got fucked over but it's like well okay but like, I mean, that's that's definitely the reason i remember that i remember that month i guess i just didn't see all that much of it um but yeah you know, i don't know the people who were actually on the ground working on stuff i don't know man everybody so, everybody really wanted to make that thing happen even the guy in charge who fucked it all up like who was yeah. in uh they were all legitimately doing their best and were as I guess they were just incompetent, like because they hadn't run a but, show I mean, like that before. He diverted so much of the money to like pay off the bad debts on his previous. Oh, yep. That's true. Yeah. Right. That it's like hard to. Anyway, watch watch fire on Netflix if you want to be sad. Because it's this is in contrast to the people that did some sort. I forget what the name of the con was the the fan con where there was the the ball, ball pit. pit that was just uh, that's, yeah. that's all I remember from that. That was just a kiddie pool filled with like a hundred ball pit balls. Hey, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was filled with the balls. It wasn't just a hundred at the bottom. But it was, it was a child's. Yeah, it, no, it was, a, it was a very sad. Like the photographs that framed it in the entire, the enormous empty ballroom or whatever it was. Yeah. 
The, so there's like the Kickstarter syndrome, right? There's like someone who has no idea how to do a thing decides, hey, I could do a thing. And then they're charismatic enough or it seems like a good enough idea that they get way more money than they would normally be able to like convince one person who knew anything about business to give them right. and then find themselves like just failing to. Yeah. I mean, you know. Maybe that's what maybe that's the fire festival situations guy. Like, right, my he has no idea what he's doing. The only thing that he is good at is convincing people to give him millions of dollars. And that's what he did, and then he did his best with it. it which was terrible. One Cable thing Sasser will occasionally post like he I don't know if he backed these Kickstarters or whether he just follows them, but like Kickstarters where like this was a premise that that is just in completely infeasible. Let's see how it's doing, you know, three or four years after the Kickstarter <laughs> went. And, like, they're still posting updates about how they're working on it and stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, this is just not not possible to actually accomplish. Um, oh, man. They still I, raised a million dollars or whatever. Star Citizen posted their, uh, yeah. their financials <laughs> over the new year. Those, $50 that, million dollar burn rate. It's annually. fucking amazing. And they would be out of money if they didn't just like, well, they raised up another 50, they just sold a $50 million in equity. Yep. Like, so they're not going to crash and burn this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're employing a bunch of people, right? Like, yeah, I don't know to what extent that is a machine for enriching Chris Roberts. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure he really wants to make a great game. Yeah. No, it, it, it at some level, it starts there, but then it just spirals out of control. Yeah. Th- it, things See, that were never I mean, meant to scale this is like why this. why corporations are people. Like, <laughs> once it really gets going, like, it has its own motivations. It has its own needs. You yeah. Know, it only I, makes I, sense. I, I think... It only makes sense that the corporation's heart wants what the corporation's heart wants, you know? I, 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 I actually agree with you, Zach, and I think they're just really awful people. <laughs> Corpor- corporations, yeah, are corporations are just shitheads, <laughs> right? I saw a uh, I saw a weird and happy movie instead of a weird and sad one. What was? Let's it, talk Ruff? about that. It was called uh, Symbol, and uh, I don't have the note in front of me, but I think the guy who created it and, and directed it and starred in it is named. Uh, it's it's a Japanese name, Hitoshi. Something I'll uh, I'll try and look it up if I get a chance. Just make up something racist. No one will know yeah, the difference. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's man, it is it is possibly the weirdest movie I've ever seen in my life. Have any of this you guys the, the ever... guy the guy in the the room? With yeah, the, like, I only saw your switches. tweets about yeah. it. Have have you, have any of you guys ever seen uh, Happiness of the Katakuris? No. So, nope. so that is another Japanese movie, which was what I previously thought was the weirdest movie I've ever seen. This movie is weirder, and anybody listening that has seen Happiness of the Katakuris is probably going, holy shit, there's a movie that is weirder than that? Yeah, this movie is fucking crazy. It is, um, it's, it's two stories intercut. It's the, the sort of B plot is about, and, and, a uh, a Mexican wrestler who's sort of down on his heels and his family is worried because he's facing a a much stronger and younger wrestler in his upcoming fight and it's the scenes of that are under 
intercut with the scenes in the other plot, which is this Japanese guy wakes up in his pajamas in this large, completely blank white room uh, with no ceiling. It just goes straight up to infinity. And there's basically little switches all over the walls. And whenever he pushes a switch, an, an object is ejected out of the wall into the room. And it's all silly, just weird objects. Like the first three things he gets are like a pink toothbrush and a megaphone and a bonsai tree. And so if you if you push the button again, do you get another bonsai yes, tree? You get the same thing again. A after a while, he he like like the the fourth or fifth button he pushes ejects a pair of chopsticks out of the wall, and for a while he just stands there hammering on the button, ejecting this huge pile of chopsticks and starting to giggle manically to himself because of the craziness of the situation. And the the entire thing is basically him like going crazy and trying not to go crazy and also trying to figure out this like world's weirdest escape room. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to call it the, the way to escape is you push enough buttons that you can stand on all the things and slowly <laughs> rise, lift yourself up out of the room. Well, I'm not going to spoil it, but it isn't that okay, good. Is, so how would you like, how would you recommend if you like were subscribed to a few streaming services? How would you recommend watching this movie? You know, I have I was not able to find it streaming anywhere. It was it's uh, as far as I know, it was not ever even released in the West. I had to torrent it uh, okay. to watch it. It's listed on Amazon, but it's not available to buy or rent except as a Region Two DVD. <laughs> so. Okay, I, not I, I don't know any other way to see it besides. Are there fan listen. subtitles, or is there no speech anyway? Uh, the version I the version I found came with uh, uh, an English subtitle track. Cool. Yes. I watched a weird but kind of depressing movie, uh, Julian Donkey Boy. Oh, I've never uh, heard of that. Which is one of the Dogma ninety five movies. Oh, uh, I it's bet got it is weird and depressing then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, Spud from uh, Transpotting is like a schizophrenic guy. Werner Herzog is his dad, is wow. like sort of like weird, abusive German father. Um, it's, I really, really liked it. Like I thought, based on the first like five minutes, I was like, this is going to be unwatchable. But then I kind of got into it and sort of found it really compelling and, and like, I feel I like the, the first handful of of uh, Dogma ninety five films were pretty were pretty good actually. Like Celebration was really good, The Idiots was really good. There's kind of something to it, I think. Yeah, you know, like I don't think it's just like a weird auteur thing. I, like I think it. I I feel like it was that until they did uh, the 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 one with Bjork, the Dancer in the Dark. Dancer in the Dark. Oh, like, that's that where was it kind of just the most depressing movie I've ever seen jump the shark for me i also then watched lars and the real girl which i had oh, never yeah. seen and that was like oh, i love that. i was expecting that to be bleak but it's in fact it's just really like the most heartwarming movie yeah. yeah it's kind of it reminded me in some ways of swiss army man huh. but not really like it's swiss <laughs> army man turns out to be super fucked up and bleak yeah. in a way that you don't yeah <laughs> 
Do you remember, I tweeted about this the other day, do you remember that one of the tracks on the soundtrack of Swiss Army Man is Daniel Radcliffe just very slowly singing Cotton Eye Joe? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's... Like and, and another one of him just very or? slowly singing the Jurassic Park theme song. <laughs> it, <clears throat> I kind of want to watch that movie again because... <laughs> Oh, man. The first half, the first half is is great, and then it just kind of yeah devolves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Julian Donkey Boy and Lars and the Real Girl. <laughs> Those are movies of the week. What are you seeing recently, Kevin? Uh, on a, on this movie podcast. Yeah, I saw Glass, and I did not like it at all. Uh, I had so I saw Unbreakable when it came out, you know, fifteen years ago or whatever, and liked it thought it was okay like it wasn't i i feel like uh m night Shyamalan has been chasing that very like, very hit and miss in general well it's very hit and miss in general but has been like the 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 underlying theme of all of it has been trying has been like chasing that dragon of like the awesome reveal at the end that like sixth sense had and ever since then is just every movie has that that reveal and it it almost always falls flat because mm. nobody cares. with Unbreakable it just felt like part of the story like yeah, I like because yeah. it I wasn't like it doesn't it work for me in that but. yeah it doesn't recontextualize everything it's not like oh everything is different than you thought it was like this is just a character just learned something about their past right like that it's there's yeah. some details of this like this movie is a superhero origin story and then here's a critical detail that you learn at the end like it didn't feel well, I think it didn't feel fa- even categorically similar it, to the other twists the fact that it was a superhero origin story is the reveal i think there i think that's the big surprise i mean it's it becomes clear of it there's like the training montage that sort of reveals that it's a superhero right i, yeah, that's I don't know true. yeah I, it's hard to it's also hard to it's also hard to think about it having seen the whole thing and then remembering it um, so then yeah. I rewatched it. I watched it like two weeks ago, just sort of leading up to it. And I, then I watched Split, which was is the sort of middle movie of the of the the triplet, the series. I don't the think I'd trilogy even trilogy heard of that that movie. I was I was surprised to learn that that Glass was the third one that there had been a second. Yeah, one. yeah. So I was, was like, so what are Split you talking out, about? Split came out in 2016, and the. The reveal, the surprise reveal of Split is that it's the second movie in the series. <laughs> so that's why you didn't know. Good. Is because like that was that was the thing, like was like it was this whole unrelated movie and you're like, okay, that was that was actually kind of a good story in and of itself. And then the the reveal is, oh, and by the way, it also exists in the world with Unbreakable. <laughs> Oh wait, is it because there's a post-credit sequence where Samuel L. Jackson shows up there's a and sequ- reveals that it is in the world of Unbreakable? It, almost. It's a it's a post-credit sequence where Bruce Willis shows up and reveals that it's in the world of Unbreakable. Huh. I'm I like I was like oh for fuck's sake! I was like I was really surprised. I got to the end do, of the movie. Do I was they like, have to like? Is there like a clarification moment where he's like, oh by the way, I'm Bruce Willis from Unbreakable, not Bruce yeah, I'm Willis the alive from- version yeah. of me. <laughs> Sorry, no spoilers, but uh. Uh, no. Split is Split is actually really good. Uh, it's actually my favorite of the three because uh, James McAvoy is incredible, and it's a a really interesting story and kind of a weird take on um, dissociative identity disorder and stuff. Um, definitely worth checking out. Uh, 
but, but you hated glass. But glass was really, really bad. It uh-huh. was. It it reminded me of the like last twenty minutes of episode three of Star Wars, where it's like, oh, let me we we got to set up the fact that we're in this weird franchise, and then they spent twenty minutes doing what you like. You already know the story of Star Wars. Like the person who has not seen Star Wars and is seeing episode three is almost non-existent, and we don't need you to like fill in these details. We know what those details are. It it felt like the worst kind of pandering mm-hmm. slash being spoken down to the entirety, almost the entirety of glass felt that way. It's like, Oh yeah, I, I feel like it's sorry. Go on. Well, just, just like, Oh, we're part of this trilogy. Let me like remind you of the fact that we're part of this trilogy. Okay. And yeah, just, I feel like it, there's, there's a, a, I don't know if it's a fan service thing, but there's a strong impulse that writers get to, try to connect the dots and have, have a backstory for every little detail that's in the the thing that was good that they're making a prequel to. And it is extremely hard to do that in a way that is not just disappointing. That is, yeah. that is better than what's in the viewer's head already. I, I maintain that the only way to correctly do that is to not yourself know the As details. The writer. Yeah. And that way, you can only insinuate. You 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 disagreed with me on this. Well, well, okay. So, are you if you invent something, then you know it and have failed? Is that what is is that like a corollary that you're to what you're saying? No, I mean, I like we we have just sort of had this like world. I mean, and this was like a ten years ago. This was a ten years old argument that we had uh, about just kind of world building in general. And I think that like insinuating a bunch of stuff is fine. Even if you don't have a Bible on the back end, explaining how it all actually works. And Kevin's Kevin's contention, I think is that when you do things that are internally inconsistent, that does more harm than the good that you're doing by pretending that there's more going on. Yeah. I feel like I want, I, I'm fine, like, starting something and not knowing what the story is, but once you create a detail, it needs to be consistent, or if you're going to break that, it, there needs to be some justification for it that's that's b- believable, right? Like, yeah, and I don't think so, that you should hand-wave stuff in the text, but I think that you can hand-wave stuff that's not in the text, and no one will know, and it will be richer for it, because so, the, Kevin, the, the reader just makes up their own... I'm with Kevin, except in the case of a ridiculous comedy video game. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think this was in the context of Word Realms, which was our very, very serious. <laughs> we we had a we did not have a good sense of tone in that game. Uh, speaking of video games, should we talk about the video games that we've been playing? No. I have one let's more. Let's talk thing. more about. Before, okay. Let's let's close out movie week. I watched. I also watched the new Spider Man movie. Oh, the Spider Man Sp- Spider Verse. Spider Verse. Yeah, uh, I don't want to. Excited. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Oh, I don't. I don't want to sp- spoil anything, but I do want to like say how impressed I was that, like, at the person who cut the trailer, because they do such a good job getting across the premise of that movie in a compelling way while while still like, and seeming like it's the whole premise while it's actually like a hundredth of the premise. Mm. Oh good. It's real good. Yeah, man, and just the 
the the artistic achievement that is the the animation in that just blew me away. There's so it looks much very, it looks very good that, that went and talent that went into to making the visuals in that and just the the That's weird cool. the all the little tricks they did to make computer animation look like cell animation and and just the I don't know the the different techniques to evoke. Yeah, but and then combining that with like characters. chromatic aberration, you know, it's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, and things that evoke like the feeling of an old comic book, and yeah, yeah. Oh, it was so good. All right, video games. What was your one more thing? Uh, that, I this past uh, weekend was the mystery hunt. Oh right. Oh, yeah. oh we can't we can't elide that. This is games. Oh, good point. Okay. Uh, it's actually the two puzzles that I wanted to talk about uh, were both games, so that, that that's fair. This is this is a segue. While I go get a beer, describe the Nintendo one that you already told me all about. Okay. Do you want a beer? Uh, no, I'm good. Um, so uh, the mystery hunt was was really good. It was extremely long. There was a lot of hunt <laughs> there. Um, I think there were almost 200 puzzles this year, which it's wow. it's just getting getting intense. Um, but one of the puzzles that uh, caught my eye was this one. I think it's called Your Wish is My Command or something like that. And the the puzzle was presented as a series of screenshots from Nintendo games and a sentence uh, with each one that um, was like, I wish I could do this thing in it. And you had to realize, oh, wait, that's like a like there's a game genie code that can do that thing for that game. Um, and so you had to look up that game genie code and keep sort of a list of them. And then at the bottom of the puzzle was a ROM, an actual Nintendo ROM that had a couple more sort of wishes in it. And you had to figure out like what game genie codes you needed to apply to the ROM to actually get, get it to display the answer to the puzzle. Was was somebody like loading this game up in a 6502 debugger to figure out like what patch had to be applied to, to change the gameplay. Uh, you just needed to you needed to add three game genie codes on top of each other to get the to get it to do the right thing. Okay. And you had to use you did have to like sort of actually dive into what game genie codes actually did. Um, yeah. To solve the puzzle, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, and then yeah, another that. puzzle that I liked a lot was called iPod Submarine. So this is based on an actual party game that was invented. Uh, shortly after the whole Elon Musk uh, sort of cave, Thai cave boy situation where they were trapped in the cave. The kids were trapped in the cave. Um, Wait, what does that have to do with Elon Musk? So, he, so do you remember how he wanted to build a submarine to like go in and rescue them? Oh, instead right. Of just having divers going in. Um, so the idea of, so let me, so the backstory for this is, is the, is that there is an actual game called iPod submarine where uh, it's a party game, and you have a person come up with sort of a scenario. It's like, uh, you know, a, a bunch of a bunch of boys trapped in a cave or something like that. Uh, it has to be like between four and six words, and then you write that down uh, f- on slips of paper f- uh, for all the other players except for one slip, which you write Elon Musk, and then you fold them and you hand them out. So everyone has Wait, a problem it, that they need to s- is solve. Is it always Elon Musk, or is that just your example? No, it's always Elon Musk. Okay. Um, one player is always Elon Musk. So he, so all the other players try to come up with a like two word phrase that is a solution to this problem. 
Elon Musk has to also try to solve the problem, but he doesn't know what the problem is. <laughs> so he just has to come up with a two-word phrase that might solve the problem. Uh, and so then everybody, like, everybody reads out their two-word solution, and then you try to guess who Elon Musk is in the group. Uh, and if you get it right, then whoever Elon Musk is has one chance to, to sort of snatch victory back if he can figure out what the problem was. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So like you need to, so your answer needs to be just, just a little vague such that it like, it's, you're signaling to the other players that you know what the, what the problem is, but not so much that you're signaling Elon Musk, the actual, like giving it away. Isn't that like exactly the rule set of Spyfall? There's, I feel like it's a common, it's a common sort of like asynchronous information thing and just And and like a a fake artist visits New York. Yeah. Did you ever play? Yeah. You played that with me. Yep. Um, I, I think that that general idea is actually really fun and good for party games because it's and especially as it sort of rotates around the the group, people get a chance to try both roles and, and everybody gets a gets at that thing. Anyway, this is a puzzle that was based on that game where the the server would give you sentences and you would. And then there were there were other sort of computer players, and they would all s- submit answers, and then everyone would guess who they thought Elon Musk was, um, and you had to figure out how to beat the game based on some information that was being given to you in very sort of subtle ways. It was it was really oh, really cool. This, was it consistent? Actually, I mean, you could start the game over and play it, and it would give you the same results. There was there was some randomness, uh, but it there was a there was a bunch of consistent rules happening behind the scenes. That reminds me of something I thought of actually just a few minutes ago when you were talking about like Instagram and stuff. Was what about an Instagram game? where there's an account that is a bot with image recognition software that if you post a a photograph, it will give you a certain number of likes based on criteria that is only known to the bot. So the, the goal of the game is to work out what sort of photographs the bot likes. Hmm. And also then to create those photographs. Yeah, to create to create those photographs to to attempt to get the maximum score possible. So what sort of things would the bot like? Well, it, it, I guess it depends on the quality of the technology in your image recognition software, but it could be like the bot, is, the bot wants to see a picture of an ex-president holding an ice cream cone, for instance. Right. So, so it would give points to like, people and ice cream and if it recognized the next president that would be worth a lot of points and things like that what was the game where you were doing really quick forgeries Hmm. i think you played it zach at fantastic arcade maybe oh yeah that one was really clever it it was like they would show like you know whistler's mother or whatever and then you were with a very rudimentary sort of uh Paint program. paint program trying yeah. to duplicate that you were competing though it was like yeah. a, it was like a 1v1. couch competitive huh it was it played with two mice you had to have a computer with two mice it was um, on one computer yeah oh weird yeah and you it was just basically just a pixel like it sort of internally posterized the source art and then it didn't show it to you posterized but it gave you the like six colors that it posterized down to and you then had to like 
just your rating was how many of your pixels matched the posterized version. Yeah, and you had really thick, big brushes. So yeah, it's hard to get yeah. Detail. You had you had sort of crude tools to do it with, and like very, very little time. Yeah, like hmm. thirty or sixty seconds yeah. or something. It was it was actually really great. It was it was, it was super fun, fun to, watch. to watch. It was fun to watch people. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's sort of similar to having like a an AI uh, judging your photos. Judge, yeah. So uh, so video games. Yeah. They're good. I like them. <laughs> what have you been playing, Zach? I uh, so I've only really played two things. Well, okay, I've most of my discretionary video game playing time was spent playtesting Baba Is You, um, which is still very fucking good. Yeah. Um, I hope it does okay. I'm not super optimistic about its chances because I think it's pretty alienating. Wow. <sighs> I feel like what, whether a game does okay, like a lot of the time what matters more is what its reputation is rather than what it's actually like to play. Um, and I don't really have a good sense of like, I feel like I've heard people talk a lot about this game, but also the people that I follow on Twitter are a very specific subset of the games industry generally. Yeah, we we recently learned from a blog post by Michael Bro that Cinco Pouse has only sold like 2,500 copies across all platforms. Um, That's pretty good for a game in Portuguese. Yeah, that's what people say. Uh, I was really surprised. Imbroglio has sold like thirteen or 15,000 copies, which that surprises me because I find Imbroglio to be just like impenetrable compared to Cinco Pouse. I, I felt the exact opposite. Huh. I just, I like, I... I'm not good at Cinco Pouse, but I could imagine how to be good at it. I cannot imagine how to be good at Imbroglio. That's so weird because I tried to play Cinco Pouse a couple times and I was like, there is so much information that it's asking you to master before you can have really even a, a beginning chance of doing well. Whereas Imbroglio, it's it's a four by four grid and you can sort of look up. With a thousand incredibly esoteric, like... Every single it's, weapon in Imbroglio, I look at and I think, oh, well, I don't want that. There's like eight <laughs> of them on the board at any given time, right? And so you, you can learn what they're what they do pretty quickly. And there's, I, I don't know, it, it, the possibility space, space felt much much smaller and much none more of manageable. Them kill any monsters is the problem. <laughs> like none of them, none of them stop you from dying real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Like seeing the boards that other people use to get high mm-hmm. scores and then like not like dying consistently after getting 10 stars on those boards. I'm like, uh, okay, I guess I could watch a video of somebody playing this particular version of this game. Yeah. I don't know. Baba is you. I just worry is like going to have like the Steven sausage roll arc where it's like, well, Frank Lance is going to love it and Bennett Foddy's going to love it, but nobody's going to buy it. Yeah. I have no idea how, uh, Steven Sausage Roll did in terms of sales. So I don't. The Witness how sold. Did, yeah, super how did well. the, did the right, Witness yeah. do real well? I feel like the, it did well. It did. Yeah, that gets obscure and difficult. I feel like a lot it of it. A I think time, it a lot of it. I think slow. is just like yeah, how that's it, that's the, the thing. The, how how well it how well it teaches how well Baba is you teaches people how to play it. I think is what. Yeah. But also, like, is it is it a good looking game? Like, that's what I was going to bring up. The witness is okay. Yeah. Uh, 
That, the witness, I mean, the witness looks cute. really nice. Baba's you looks like it looks like MS Paint. Yeah, like I, it's super charming. Though. Yeah, no, I, like you and I can look at it and think, oh, this is carefully considered MS Paint ass bullshit, as opposed to just <laughs> hastily tossed off MS Paint ass bullshit. But most people don't hmm. want to spend the time interrogating that. I don't think. I don't know. I can't speak for most people. Yeah. Most people don't even speak English. They're not going to know what Baba is you means. Most people can't even It's not even, even grammatically correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, it gets very hard very fast, and it's, yeah. It's, a, there are so many puzzles. No, it's, I know. It's overwhelming. I, I solved 55 puzzles, and 55. I'm stuck. Yeah, that just means I'm stuck in, like, eight different little branches. Hmm. If they want somebody else um, to test their Mac version, hit me up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I also played uh, this iOS game called Golf Peaks, which you will love, Kevin, because uh, mm-hmm. it's about golf, your mm-hmm. favorite thing. <laughs> it's not really about golf, uh, though. It's a grid-based puzzle game uh, where you have a golf ball and a golf hole, and you're goal is obviously to get the golf ball in the golf hole uh the grid has sort of uh height topology like the grid squares can be tilted or have like a little cliff leading down to the next level or whatever it's like isometric uh but it's very clear there's never any ambiguity about which which things are on the same level your actions you get a you get a set of cards for each uh puzzle which are just Hit the ball one space in one space. Hit the ball two spaces. Hit the ball three spaces. And the first level, all there is is like figuring out how to use the verbs that you have to hit it at particular points that end up getting it into the hole. Does gravity affect the ball? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. So you like and so like you, and you hit it here and it'll roll down this hole and end up here. And then I can use the two to get it over here. And then that will position me so I can use the one to get it into the hole. It's just like an order of operations uh, thing. And then it starts to do things like, okay, now some of the cards are an arcing shot and some of them are a straight shot. So an arcing shot will like hop over a pit and then it introduces sand traps. And so it's like, no matter what you're doing, when you hit a sand trap, it will stop. So that's a way of like turning a three into a two. If, if you need that to, Mm -hmm. to, to make it to the thing. Uh, and I don't know, it's just kind of a cute puzzle game and it's, uh, yeah, it's like a logic puzzle disguised as a golf game. Um, and I also today, uh, I don't remember how I found out about this. I think it must have just been like a Steam recommendation, but it is a programming game called If True Colon Learn, open parenthesis. Oh, yeah, this is, it just came out. Parenthesis. Yeah. It is really weird. Isn't it like an educational programming It is, game? but it is like... So, like, your human resources machine or your Shenzhen I.O. or whatever, those things all kind of make sense <laughs> um, in a... The, so, the the arc of this game is sort of teaching you the history of AI research. And you don't have... It's... Fundamentally, it's a game about programming via this sort of drag and drop language where there's like an input goes into this and then this this node performs an operation and chooses an output and sends the data along that that node. But you don't 
really have. So at first it'll be like, all right, so the data that's coming out of here is like 10 red squares and 10 blue squares. And your goal is to get the red squares into this funnel and the blue squares into this funnel. And you have one object that is uh, if red go to the top square, else go to the bottom square. But that component is really slow. And so you'll just barely make the like gold medal time on this thing by using that. And then in the next level, it introduces a different kind of thing, which is a comparator that has exactly, it, it has a like a top color and a bottom color, which you can select any of the colors or just the word any, which, which will match anything. When a thing goes in there, if it matches only one of the criteria, it will go out that output. If it matches all or none of the criteria, it will go out a random oh, gate. Geez. But it is way faster than the first thing that you have. Huh. Right. And it's like it has a name and it's some like this is basically like what this thing is trying to teach you is the kind of principles of machine learning and neural net stuff and it's because i don't know anything about the source material i can't tell if it's real i can't tell if i'm learning anything <laughs> and it gets it gets super fucked While up like true it starts learn. it starts giving you things where it's like so this this is a thing that is extremely fast but it has a 70 percent chance of being wrong in the output that it chooses but it learns from the result it learns from the error rate on the result bucket whether its behavior is good or not so the more time you spend and you spend these sort of like fake money things like training it so you can get the accuracy of these things Bad. up uh huh. by by just but like building the circuit to test it is a very different thing than building the circuit to then perform the operation that you need to perform at the end. And it's very tight. It very tightly constrains you on the number of nodes that you can use. It also has that integrated circuit thing from that game that I sent you. Yeah. The, that like real pixel arty circuit programming. God, what was it called? Oh, I feel like it had like an uninspired name that was very easy to forget. And uh, you could just infinitely nest ICs. Yeah. But space and so this is a huge like, constraint. Basically, every level that you've solved in the past becomes an IC that you can use. Oh, wow. And so, and the overarching story is like you're. You're a programmer trying to figure out how to solve a problem, and you get up to go get a new, another cup of coffee, and when you come back, your cat has coded the problem, like has solved the problem for you, and so you are on a quest to write software to be able to translate your cat's speech into something that you can understand. Now that you know that your cat is intelligent, but it that's cute. I've gotten to like you're just tra like the first thing that you have to do is train a neural net to like be able to recognize a picture of a cat. Uh, and so there's a, just a bunch of like stuff about how neural nets work in that regard and like training it on, on experimental data and stuff. I remember this, reading about this while it was still in development. And I, as far as I know, these are all actual real machine learning concepts that they are just, trying to impart. Just from the way it. you describe it, it sounds so specific and so not fun <laughs> that this is not like these, these can't possibly be game mechanics that someone invented because it would be a fun game. I think it is fun. It's 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 hard in a I I don't know. Like 
when I'm when I'm bad at a Zachtronics game, it's it makes me feel like I'm bad at it because I am not understanding something that's really complicated. And when I'm bad at this, I feel like I'm bad at it because I'm not understanding something that's really simple. <laughs> so is, is that better? I mean, I like that would make feels me feel more dumber. It feels more achievable. Oh sure, yeah. You know, because it's like, oh, there's just something about the way this works that means I need to like. It's like, I don't know. It feels like you need to take a kind of fuzzier approach. Like you can't just like, whereas a Zactronics game just feels like doing math. This thing feels like, I, I don't know, like figuring out some like quantum trickery to get the result you need out of a fundamentally unpredictable process that was the other thing that came to mind uh when you were describing how the how the systems worked was it sounded a little bit like when people describe making simulations of what a hypothetical quantum computer how it would work Yeah, so I don't know. You know, uh, there's that short story that I reference every once in a while on uh, this podcast that I can never remember who wrote it, but it's called Mimsy or the Borogoves. And it's about uh, this, like, box of toys that gets sent from the future back in time. And the guy who finds them just gives gives the box to his kids. And then one day his kids just disappear because the toys are, like a way to teach kids in the future to like transcend three dimensions. Right. And so the kids just learn it by, by playing it. And then the premise is that like Jabberwocky is the instructions Hmm. and that it was also appeared in Lewis Carroll's time or something. I don't remember exactly what, but uh, this feels like that. This feels like, like (laughs) when I get something working, I don't exactly understand what I've done, but I definitely did it. So well, I think that's true of most people working in machine learning. Yeah. It sounds fascinating. It's it, the, and so, like I got to I got to a set of like side missions because there are also some like like really challenging side missions. There's also kind of an incremental game associated with it where you can invest in startups and then you write the algorithm that the startup is using. And the more effective the algorithm is that you wrote, the more money it makes. But then there's also some weird simulation of like how hyped people are about it and how much (laughs) other investment capital it's getting. And it weird also. After it's after it got past the point where I've like trained this thing to be able to recognize cats, it's getting into like you've been tasked to like write like immigrant friendly policies for government like image recognition software and stuff. Like it it seems like it's edging up into like weirdly political stuff, right? But. It's also not particularly well written. Like there's a ton of typos Mm. or the people who wrote it don't know how to spell. And thus (laughs) I'm so much better than them that I couldn't possibly enjoy a game that they'd made for me. What if it was Uh a bunch of cats who made it, who don't have a context for human language? Everything is from like all of the email addresses are at cat.meow. It's very good. It's it. The UX is kind of messy, but it feels right for the game it, it's a fucking weird thing that's great i'm super happy this exists i'm kind of curious about 
how any of the rest of you would feel about it. But those are those are my two games. Oh man, uh, there's some news uh, tomorrow. They are patching turn-based combat into uh, Pillars of Eternity 2. So tomorrow, I am going to buy and play Pillars of Eternity 2, which I never would have done if they had not. Was Pillars of Eternity 1 turn-based combat? It was not. No, it's it's real-time with pause, like the sort of Infinity Engine. Huh. Oh, is this patch like the, the NES Advantage slow motion where it... It automates pushing start repeatedly to pause and unpause the game. <laughs> yes. I think they fully, like, they just compl- they just wrote a second version of all of the combat systems. Hmm. Wow. Um, I'm really curious, I, but I'm, I don't know. I'm going to spend $50 on this video game tomorrow because I'm excited about that idea. I kind of bounced off Pillars of Eternity 1 because of the real-time with pause combat. I didn't mind it in, like, the Planescape game, the, like, Planescape Torment and then Torment Tides of Numenera because you don't... Wait, actually, Tides of Numenera had turn-based combat, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. So never mind. But Planescape Torment, like, you don't really do a lot of fighting in that if you're playing it the way that I want to. I think so. I never played Pillars of Eternity. Mm. I think I only played Tides of Numenera. Planescape Torment, you mean? No, I didn't play Tides. Playing Planescape Torment. Okay. okay. Uh, you did play Tides of Numenera? I think so. Oh, huh. A little bit. Anyway, those are my games. What about you, Riff? Uh, I've played pretty much only Dragon Quest Builders. Uh, How are you finding it? I, I'm enjoying it. I, I, I've gotten past the point uh, where I, where I ended up stopping playing the first time I played it. I'm about... Okay, this is not the first time you played this. No. I previously played it and got to the second world and then pretty much stopped. Not because I was not liking it or anything, just I got distracted by other stuff and didn't go back to it. Uh, but I'm now about halfway through the second world. It's a, it's a good yeah, game. I'm into it. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's nice to I have... I think I got to the final boss and never beat it. Of the first world? No, of the first of the game. Oh, really? Of Of all the worlds? Yeah. And you, so you had that, you went to that world that like starts off really bleak with very little resources yeah, and stuff. Where like the Dragon Lord's castle is. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Man, I don't think long, I got How long to... does it take? How long, how, or how many, like, because I feel like There's it's like going to be probably four like. Four worlds. Is that four, right? Yeah. Because it's taking me like. Yeah. I'm guessing I probably spent like 20 hours on it. 20 hours yeah, total? It's... Oh, wow. I'm it's I'm, a, I'm it's going a, through it way slower than. <laughs> it's a longish it's a longish game. Yeah. It depends on how much you're building and stuff. Yeah, you can definitely that's finish true. it faster. Yeah, I also knew going in like you had told me up, from yeah. you playing it that it nukes your first world when you move on and that made me not really care about building anything nice. There yeah. are there are like hidden achievements in every level and you don't they don't tell you what they are until you've finished it mm-hmm. so you can try to uh, like be super thorough and finish stuff in advance but it's possible that you yeah. that you won't the the, the rewards for that are just like unlocked recipes in the, for the free play mode. mode so yeah, yeah so it's not not like it's important or anything but yeah, I mean, and it it it's it does save it, it keeps a separate save file for every world, 
So if you if you wanted to go back to your first world, you'd be free to do that. But th- why would you? Yeah, pretty much. Also, like the free play mode didn't appeal to me. Like the the thing that it does right is ha- have Minecraft like mechanics with a yeah quest with structure with goals it. and progression. Yeah, that's what I like yeah. about it is having like like interesting and and well thought out quests and a world that's like built around those quests like because as far as i can tell it's not randomly generated except maybe in the sense that they procedurally generated a bunch of stuff and then tweaked it but yeah i'm pretty sure that they are not procedurally generated per player right so i don't think i I, I can't remember how far I got in the game. I either did not fight a boss or fought one boss and then stopped. Like, how is the combat system in that game? Is the it boss good? fights are unusual. It's it's mostly Zelda-style yeah. combat, right? Like arcade. Yeah, that's what I remembered from, like, fighting Actual loose arcade. slimes in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember it really getting in the way. Like, it was easy enough. Or are you, you know... You could make it easy enough by upgrading your shit, and upgrading your shit was fun. Right. Yeah. Like, ideally, you would want uh, the boss fights to be about building stuff in some way. The the one boss fight I've been through was not so much building stuff. There, there is a there's an object that you I think you have to make before you can initiate the boss fight, and it, which is like a wall that you can put down and pick up. And and that like is that is useful to obstruct the boss's attacks against your city. Right. There are ways that you can make the boss fights much much easier than they would otherwise be. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for you if you want to figure it out. Yeah. On your own, but do you mean like by using the building mechanics? Yes. Yeah. Using, okay. That's using, cool. Using the resources that are available to you, you can you can make things a lot a lot easier. Yeah. Is the the second one is coming out soonish? I think right? that's why Riff is playing through it. Yeah, now, right? some sometime this year it's coming out. It 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 was brought to my attention that I had not yet finished, uh, or even probably even a quarter or a fifth of the way through <laughs> Dragon Quest Builders One was because it came up in conversation. I was like, oh yeah, I'm super excited about Dragon Quest Builders Two coming out, and I was like, oh wait, <laughs> I could just play the first one. So what are you playing it on? Um, Switch. Hmm. That's what I played it as well. Yeah. I played it on the Vita. Hmm. Oh, wow. Um, wow, that seems which one of real Yeah, small. back before the Switch was a thing. Yeah. Like, I, I played it uh, I played it handheld mode on the Switch for, like, a couple of hours, and I was like, man, this is rough on my eyes, and moved to the TV. I can't imagine playing it on a Vita. I remember it not being, I mean, it was the only way you could play it at that time, so I didn't. I mean, I guess I I didn't have a PS4, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't mind it, and having the touch screen for the inventory management was nice. What about you, Jim? Uh, I uh, so I got to like maybe the last or the second to last chapter in Yakuza and realized Yakuza Zero and realized it had been like. 10 or 15 hours since I'd enjoyed the game and stopped playing it. Um, I talked about, I talked about like 
the, especially the early game was full of lots of just weird shit happening, like figuring out what systems were doing, uh, and meeting, meeting weird people on the street and having fun interactions with them. Um, just little like delightful vignettes and, and I guess if I were to try to divide it up, I would say that all the good parts of that game are in the side quests and the main quest is kind of just dull melodrama, like poorly written. Like I would argue that that is not a well-written game. Um, uh, n- not a well-written dramatic game. It's, it's, it's much better at comedy. Uh, and like, I was talking to people on Twitter about this and they were saying like, oh, well, someone, someone, someone said that like, oh yes, I actually like the stories of the Yakuza games, but they never leave as strong an impression as they could because the ending is always, you know, you get, you finish, you get sick of your side quests and then you just have this long slog through the main storyline. Um, and I, I feel like I, I couldn't possibly have been, have, have like exhausted all the side quests because the game has some very detailed, like, completed, completion percentage screens. Uh, and I was very far from finishing all the side quests, but like, it just hadn't shown me any, like, opportunities for any in a long time. So, like, it was, it was to the point where, like, there's really all there is to do is, the the cutscenes, which I think are badly written and not interesting, uh, and the combat system, which is pretty mediocre and not interesting, and I was just like, well, I can skip the cutscenes, but I can't skip the combat. And then I realized I could skip the combat by not playing the game. <laughs> so, like, I that's, still... That's the only way to win. Right. I still think that the first five hours of this game are magnificent. Like, and, and that's, that's a, that's, that's an exaggeration. Like, I think like are, are magnificent often enough that it's worth playing because you still have to go through the melodrama to get to that stuff. Uh, I wonder, like, I, I feel like th- there has to be an audience out there for the melodrama for like what I consider to be the incompetently written melodrama. I feel like there is, there are people who love that stuff, but from my perspective, it really just looks like the people who made that game don't know what's good about it. Hmm. I'm always kind of mistrustful of that statement. Yeah. I I think that's probably smart. Yeah. I feel like I should be mistrustful of it. Although, I mean, partly why I'm mistrustful of that is because a lot of people have said it about us, about Kingdom of Loathing. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think um, it's a lot more, I don't know, th- this is this is on the basis of like, these guys have made, this is like the, it's called Zero, but I think it's like the sixth Yakuza game they made. Um, and that's... Like, maybe what I mean is that it's, it's interesting that they don't seem to know what's good about their game because, like, if someone's first game is accidentally good in a series, 
And that's not that surprising because they probably made it accidentally. Like a lot of when you're making, when you're inventing a new kind of game, a lot of what you're doing is, it, especially on a, on a, on a big team, a lot of what you're doing, what you do ends up being, it comes down to luck, whether you, um, made good decisions without really knowing what the outcome was going to be. But then like, once you've made a few sequels, it's really down to a science and you've had plenty of chances to iterate. Um, and I guess what I mean is that they, they know exactly what they're making at this point. They're not like, Maybe except for like the, when I was talking about how like the, the shooting minigame seemed like it was designed by someone who'd never played a shooter. Like yeah. probably there are scenes like that that are just, this is an entirely new thing that they made just for this game. But, um, I think the core loop, um, is very codified and has been so since probably the second game, if not the first. And so it's, it's interesting to me that like, it's so when I say they don't know what's good about the game, that's pro- probably what I actually mean is like incredulously they made it like this on purpose, right? Yeah, but I, I'm like when I when I first put the game down, it I had kind of been soured on the whole series, but like with a couple of days of perspective, I feel like no, I want to play like the first five hours of another Yakuza game and see if I like that as much. Yeah. Um, because it may be that now that I understand the systems, how the game works, the fun, that part of the fun is gone uh, because it's just like, Oh yes, this is that thing again. Uh, but it also may be that there's enough new stuff um, or a lot of the fun comes from the weird situations in the writing. Do you think that it's like a R Kelly trapped in the closet thing where do you think someone on the team knew what was good about it for you? I, I think um, it is very plausible, if not super likely, that they have either one, like two writers or two teams of writers, and one team does the serious stuff and one team does the silly stuff. So it's um, like World of Warcraft's poop guy, but writ large. <laughs> yeah. Like the guy who writes only the good quests in World of Warcraft. Right, right. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, and I played... Um, I played a game called... I think it was called Lovecraft Quest Cthulhu Rising. I could be wrong about the subtitle. That's um, a phone game... And the core loop of the game is basically Hunt the Wumpus. Hmm. Huh. Uh, okay. Where you play, uh, uh, like a, you play HP Lovecraft going into a, uh, like a cave or a temple or something like that. Um, and you're presented with a Byzantine map and given, uh, information like uh, you hear slithering and that means there's a shoggoth in one of the adjacent rooms. Um, and there's another um, another obstacle that you can uh, shoot by shooting into the adjacent room. And if you succeed, then I, you get some sort of reward and you can then go into that room. Um, and, you know, Hunt the Wumpus, not a 
amazing game, but pretty solid. Like it's 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 uh there's some there's some fun to be had there. Um and it's well presented, like uh, the imagine Hunt the Wumpus but with pretty decent graphics and they're also you're also HP Lovecraft. Um But then they also do things like in order to advance to the next level, you have to solve a uh, do you know what I mean when I say eight puzzle? It's like a 15 mm. puzzle, but smaller. Huh. <laughs> and but like two by... F- it's 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 three by three, but oh, missing one. Three by okay. three, but missing one. Okay. Yeah. Um, not It's not an interesting puzzle to solve even once. Yeah. And they make you do it over and over again. It's really a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... On one of the levels, I ran into this lock-picking minigame where the minigame is you have to... There are six constantly rotating tumblers, and you have to tap the screen... Like, in, like tap the screen when the first one is, like, in the right place on the circle, and tap then the tap the screen when the next one is in the right place on the circle, and you have to get it right six times in a row. Jeez. And if you don't, then the whole thing resets, but there's no punishment for the whole thing resetting, except that you have to just do this thing over and over again, Mm. which is a like really not a fun mini game. Like they took uh, a pretty solid existing core concept uh, and rethemed it. And that was fine. And then they, but every like unique aspect of the design is bad. And that was a shame. <laughs> and I played a game. I'm not sure what the name of it was. I think it was just domain pricing, but it's at domain dash pricing dot glitch dot me. Um, and this is a game where they have a, they, they pulled a, a, I don't know where they got the data, but they scraped from somewhere like a list of domain names for sale and what they were listed at. And you're presented with pairs of them, and you have to pick which one is worth more, which one is has a higher asking price. And you, by playing this game, you learn like, oh yes, sure, like if it's a real English word, that's better. If it's like a medical or technical word, that's better. Like shorter is better. Like you learn all the little rules for for what makes a domain name valuable. Um, and so it's kind of educational in that way. Like I, uh, I went from getting things wrong more than half the time, which means my knowledge was worse than worse than useless. You know, you you get uh, if you get uh, like a, if you get less than fifty percent on your true false test, like that's actually like useful information because if you just reverse everything, then you get a better score. Uh but like I, mean, I feel like there's I, some sample size bias right. at work in anything that you have the patience to actually do as a human. Uh huh. I guess your point stands. <laughs> uh, can you can you explain that? What you mean by that? <laughs> well, I mean, if you do worse than fifty percent on a true false test that has twenty questions, you haven't actually like proved that you're worse at it than chance, right? Like that. 
Oh, like, okay. So, like, if it's a small effect, there's there's probably a, like if it's if it's a statistically significant effect, which I guess would be like in in uh in the the standards used by uh journals that publish scientific papers, it would be if you missed if you got like forty percent or lower, I guess. Um, but on the a twenty question. Would- the sample the 20- size would have to be enough that like one standard deviation away from the mean was like a small enough portion of the number of questions that you answered. Like, and yeah, and, and and then you also have to deal with factors like uh, like Sicilian reasoning factors, uh, where um, you you. You answer where the, uh, the poison is in your glass, <laughs> right? Where you're like, oh yes, this this domain is higher, but oh, because I think that it must be mm. the other domain that's more <laughs> expensive, but then oh, because I think that it's actually the first one again. Uh, yeah, yeah like I have this tendency whenever I am deciding which direction is towards where we need to get, I just always pick the wrong direction. But if I take that into account. I will correct for it so that going against my, if I think I'm going against my initial inclination, I will still get it wrong. Right. (laughs) I played that domain game a little bit. It, I wish it was faster. (laughs) Uh, I don't remember it having things that slowed it down. Was it just loading the page? Yeah. Yeah. I, I spent enough time like, thinking about it that um that that time felt minimal i mean i i was getting like 75 percent, but i only did eight of them so that doesn't right, really right. mean anything yeah by the time i i like i i was when i said uh, on twitter that i was i was below 50 percent, i was in like the 30s and then by the time i was and that was like fairly significantly below 50%. I think it was at like 35% right or something like that. Um, and then by the time I was up above a hundred questions, I was more like 60% right. So like, I do feel like that game is, I mean, it's educational in the same way that every game is educational in the sense that you get better at a certain skill, whether or not that skill has any value. Outside I wonder of the what game. the correlation is between the asking price of domains and the amount that domains sell for, if yeah, there is one. Huh. That's another. That's another thing that makes this this skill questionably useful is because it's not like actually what what the I don't I, I I'm pretty sure the database came from just like sale listings, not mm-hmm. actual what it was sold for. Yeah. You ever buy a domain like that? Like, did you ever buy a domain on a secondary market? Um, twinbeard.com, I, um, was taken by someone who had it, had, had it registered for like eight years and never put anything on there. And I had registered, this was like, this was like a year after Frog Fractions. I had, I had been using twinbeardstudios.com and that's, you know, that's kind of lame. Uh, but, uh, I had seen that twinbeard.com was about to expire and I paid a service that would like reserve it for me when it expired. I think, I think was what it was. And so like, I sort of did that. 
We bought zapcon.com I think for five hundred dollars. Did you name did you did you do this from the domain name out? Like we can get this domain name that we like and then name our conference out of it. No, I think we decided to call the conference Zapcon and then felt that it was worth $500 to have a website. Since the website is where you go to buy tickets, we felt that it was worth it to buy the .com that was named after the thing. Yeah. Um, Every step of it seemed really sketchy, and it's weird that we actually got it because they could have just (laughs) taken my $500. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but I think you could have then disputed the charge and gotten your money back. Yeah, that's probably true. You could have, oh. and, and if that didn't work, you could just get, like, zapcon.moe. <laughs> yeah, none of those existed. Zapcon's, like, seven years old at this point. Oh, that's true. We couldn't have done zapcon.bike or zapcon.ninja or zapcon.com. Yeah, you would have had to come up with a country name that there's, maybe there's a .on. I am Zap- so angry that when .lol domains went for sale... That I did not manage to get in fast enough to buy 420.lol <laughs> because it is the only website that I would use for anything. Like, I would just take down kingdomofloathing.com <laughs> and insist that anyone who wants to play that go to 420.lol slash kingdomofloathing. <laughs> that's branding right there. That's why I you're, am... that's why you're a wealthy businessman, Zach. Yep. <laughs> just irresponsible number of houses. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> when uh, when you were talking about uh, Hunt the Wumpus, I have almost no experience playing Hunt the Wumpus, and it doesn't seem fun to me at all. But <laughs> but we implemented I have a it soft in spot. Kingdom of Loathing anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I have a real soft spot for it because in the creative computing uh, 100 Basic Adventure Games book from like 1979, edited by David All. Uh, there is a program listing of Hunt the Wumpus, but there is also like a page that is just written by the guy who wrote the game, describe just telling the story of designing and writing the game. Hmm. And oh, it was wow. the first, and it was the first time that I had ever encountered that. Like it was the first time that I had ever seen an account of a human who made a video game. Hmm. And he just seemed like a guy like, oh, you could this guy knows all the same words that I do <laughs> and, right. he's, and know how to spell and them. he spells them correctly. <laughs> yeah. So we're equally smart. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but it Unless was just he slipped like, in some misspellings in there that you didn't notice, which makes him smarter. Oh, that could have been. Yeah. Uh, but no, I just like I just have this like very warm feeling in my heart about that game because of it being associated with I also sort of feel the same way about uh, early Sierra games because one of the games that I bought came with like the Sierra newsletter and it was just hmm. kind of a magazine that just had a bunch of articles from inside the studio about the process of making the stuff that they were making and it was m- almost unique in terms of me being exposed to that like just the idea that there were just people making these things was seem it seemed so weird and yeah i feel like even from like in the in the the 80s was the the ideal time for that and you didn't see that much of it like what you saw at best usually was uh 
like the Activision manual or whatever had uh, an about the author page for uh, for an Atari 20, 2600 game. Yeah. But it was never just an account of the experience of making it. Right. But it was humanizing. It was like, these are people making this stuff. And then I remember uh, at the dentist one year reading a Newsweek profile of Richard Garriott, and now his house had all kinds of crazy secret passages passages, and like tunnels underneath the swimming pool. And it it really inspired me to someday own a house. (laughs) (laughs) Really, it inspired me to want to make video games so that I can make enough money from video games to own a house. In space. Yeah, a house in space. And then like later on, him just being like, God, this house is a fucking albatross i really wish i didn't have this house anymore like this was awesome when i was 25 but jesus fuck it's expensive and i just want to live in new york with my girlfriend one of the i bet there's somebody who wants to buy the richard garriott house for i think somebody did money. you mean yeah. britannia manor it's a come on he did not call it he didn't name it after his real name his, his fucking that's his slave name he's lord his, british his muggle name <laughs> yeah in the uh, in that puzzle in the iPod submarine puzzle, one of the challenges that they were putting forth was in space, no one can hear YouTube. Nice. <clears throat> what have you played, Kevin? Before you go to sleep, uh, Cross Cells. It's like a little um, logic puzzle game. It's it reminds me of Hex Cells. It's uh, just like a there's like this sort of class of games on Steam that's just like little logic arithmetic puzzle hex cells is kind of like minesweepery is that um i think it's it has information either along the sides or Mm. inside the cells that you use to fill out the grid whether or not it is a cell that is is a mine or not this one is like a bunch of numbers in various grid like configurations and you either add or subtract or multiply them or whatever and you're trying to create a bunch of numbers that are around the side. Hmm. Um, it's more meditative than anything. It's it's like a Sudoku plus style level of challenge, you know. Hmm. Um, but that's about it. I haven't had much time beyond the mystery hunt for playing stuff. Yeah, you just stayed up for a week. Yeah, my sleep schedule is all kinds of weird now. Well, should we talk about the assignment, Pool Panic? Sure. It's an Adult Swim published game where you're a sort of Rick and Morty pool ball. And there's levels where you have to play pool kind of knocking balls into holes. And I, I hated it a lot. Bounce off of it. I try like I played it for like a half an hour the first time. And then I forced myself to go back and try to play a few more levels so that I would have more to say about it than just, Holy shit. This is terrible. Um, I, I really do. Like, I hate this. Like, I don't like... So... I don't like showing up here with this kind of opinion, but I kind of think that this game fails at everything that it tries to do. So you don't... You don't dislike pool games, right? Because you like... No, I like pool Zach, games. Zach this is, pool this game is and... a very... 
this is fundamentally a user hostile pool game because the one thing that you need in a pool game, if you want to let somebody be good at a pool game, For the pool balls to stand still. Well, so <laughs> hey, yeah, there's that. That is the gimmick of the game, but you need to be able to see the entire fucking table, like the camera. Oh in yeah, this I game was. Is I was real frustrated so by the camera. User hostile problems. Yeah. Uh, it it tries to move to where you can see where the ball's gonna go, but it shouldn't move at all. It should be zoomed out to where you can see the whole table. Period. Hmm. Like, that prevents it from yeah, I some think of the they big, were big old levels that it, they want sometimes. I, I and I think like the another reason that they didn't do that like was that they wanted to showcase the the faces on the yeah yeah, yeah. and in some cases the, that's important because that's some of the some of the enemy pool balls have tells like that that are important. Right. It really doesn't explain any of that. No, it really mm-hmm. doesn't. I, I feel like that's Which, learning yeah, that I, stuff can be entertaining. It can be interesting to you know learning that oh these these like, color guys behave this certain way and I do feel like there's a bunch of enemy behaviors that are there to be funny the first time it does something unexpected. Mm. Yeah. Like they're the one that gets out, get out of the gets out of the way while you're trying to shoot it so you just go straight into the hole. Yeah, kind of yeah I, I I thought that was entertaining. I think I think this would be like I I would have found this a lot more interesting game and possibly a lot more frustrating game uh if I was actually interested in like achieving all of the little trophies that you can get for each table like if i cared about about real hard yeah like if i cared about getting a table done under par for instance like that seems like for some of those that could be a really interesting puzzle but eh you know i I, there if you're not playing that way it's just knock these guys into the holes and move on to the next one there were some levels where the par was significantly below the number of balls and i was like does that mean that you're regularly sinking more than one ball with a shot and that seems impossible or is there some trick that it doesn't communicate to you like this seemed like the kind of game that should have had a lot of funny writing in it that would have justified its existence but it had no writing really beyond the tutorial but like the writing in the tutorial wasn't great so yeah like in a sense i'm kind of grateful they didn't try to fill the game with bad writing the tutorial was pretty hostile too yeah, yeah, I like agree. I, I I did something, and then I was like, no, 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 that's not that's not what you're supposed to do. And like res- resets, and like start to do it again. I'm like, oh, okay. And yeah, like it's asking you to do something pretty unintuitive. Yeah, uh, and you have to read really carefully to figure out what it wants. Yep. <sighs> yeah, this is a it's a bummer. Like, I it I felt like the the I you know I played maybe an hour or so of it and just felt like it was super repetitive. Like I, they tried to vary things up, but it just felt like, okay, I'm just hitting more balls into more holes. Yeah. There, I only there played are five or six. I played five or six levels and they were all pretty different from yeah. one another. It, it kind of depends on they... where you ran, where you wandered to. Cause I, I, I tried to wander pretty far away. Like super totally different where you're like on a motorcycle and like racing other motorcycle dudes down the highway and you have to knock them off their motorcycles. Yeah. I saw a bunch of no holes at all. And that was weird, but I saw a bunch of what looked like motorcycle folks hanging out, but I couldn't interact with them. Yeah. 
There was one, I get to one where all the balls were like in a lake. Like you start out and it says up in the corner that there are eight balls, but there's, you can't see any of them and you have to go underwater and they're all down there and you just have to like knock them up onto the surface and then hit them on, into a hole. And there was one where there were like some raccoon balls that were hiding at the tops of trees and you had to like hit the grill to knock some hamburgers onto the ground so that the raccoons would mm. scamper down and be on the ground eating the hamburgers so you'd get some time to shoot them. I see. Yeah, and that's and that's like conceptually that's really neat. Like it feels yeah, like, like I feel like you could describe been... this game and it would sound pretty good. Yeah. 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 It's there's there's something about like doing this kind of physics and then presenting it as billboarded sprites that hmm. is just like I don't know like you can get away with doing like a brawler that way and you just know that it's like well if I'm offset by a little bit like it makes sense that I can't punch this guy because we're two dimensional you know and <laughs> just wouldn't be able to hit it but none of that I don't know, like Pocket Run Pool gets pretty goofy with physics and rules and, and stuff, but it's, I mean, I guess it doesn't get, it doesn't get goofy with physics. It's just like, all right, now these balls are heavy or different sizes or whatever. And it makes sense because it's a top-down 2D game. And I guess like you just couldn't do that with this because then you couldn't animate them to be running around on their silly little legs. But like... I don't know. That's not enough to drive. I'm really bummed out by this game. Did you want to like it? I did, yeah. Expectations are, are the thing that ruins everything else. Everything, yeah. Just don't have any of them. Yeah. <laughs> Lower them. Okay. Well, what god-awful game are we playing for next week? Piku Niku. Piku Niku. Uh, I've actually played a few minutes of this with yeah, you. With you. And it was great. <laughs> it was, yeah. So we're going to play co-op. And so Kevin and did I Did I just hear some expectations, about... guys? I did. Yeah. Kevin and I will have heartwarming stories about like helping each other through obstacles like we do in every aspect of our lives. <laughs> and then you guys can play it by yourselves and not understand why we like it. <laughs> Sounds legit. It Jim, was... you should play with April. That's true. Uh-huh. Riff. Or with Winston. Either one. Okay. Take All it right. to take it to Nick's house and play it on the Switch with one of Nick's kids. Uh, I saw this as in a list of games that I think Devolver maybe is publishing it, uh, saying, I think saying ironically, single player games are dead because Greece was in there and a couple other things. And I was like, this is not necessarily the best poster child for single player games being dead because my experience of it has one hundred percent been as a multiplayer game. So. I guess maybe it is a single-player game or there is some sort of single-player campaign in it, but I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see. It's cute. It's physics-y. Yeah. It's puzzly, I think. You can kick stuff and it's funny. Yep. That's what Bam Margera has taught me is that it's funny to just, like, kick a guy when he's not expecting it. Ha-ha. Um, it's a reality TV in a nutshell. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I've had a fantastic time recording episode number 358 of Video Games Hot Dog with you. I hope we do it again real soon.
I bet we do. I bet we'll do it in one week in this very studio. Jim, come come to this very studio next week so we can see your smiling face. Well, we'll sure. see. We'll see if uh, my Scion cooperates. You like your Mitsubishi Scion that you drive into That my town? wife birthed, yes. Hmm. And listeners, I hope your wife births a car. <laughs> and if she does, oh, I man, hope when you That way you don't horn, have to go to a dealership. It's kind of amazing, actually. The horn goes, Kakabububalaya. Have a great week, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. It's kind of like La Cucaracha, you know? Yeah. Or I wish. (laughs) Oh, I wish I was in the (laughs) land of Dixie. In the land of cotton? I don't know how. I don't know how that song goes from the Dukes of Hazzard. (laughs) Nobody does. Remember how that car has a fucking Confederate flag on it? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Like, was that show super racist? And uh-huh. I just grew up being oh, indoctrinated I, I, with white supremacist like horseshit from the everybody boys. was super racist in the eighties. We just didn't know it at the time. Yeah, that was the but problem, it, right? The, the, that feels like a show where they would have like stopped Roscoe from arresting a black dude just for being black. Like, and it, I mean, it would have been one of the Harlem Globetrotters or something because it was television. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. we should someone someone go over like an episode guide and tell us if that happens. Like, it was a show that took place in the South, but it wasn't made by racist at like te- like racists didn't make television shows then or now. <laughs> it's like <laughs> certainly no media is made for racists. <laughs> well, okay. But it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. To some people, the Confederate flag probably is just a symbol of the South. And f- I mean, especially then. I mean, I feel like it's less problematic before the invention. Yeah, va- the value <laughs> value of symbol, the, the, the meaning of symbols change. So it may be that in addition to everybody being more racist then, it may be that that symbol was not a strong predictor of amount of racism then. Symbols do change over time, which is why you can never hear the same percussion section twice. Bye, guys. (laughs) Good night. Bye.